backed up and be the leader of that generation, but yet no one would. Even after God would bless them and God would encourage them and draw them, even chastise them, yet no one stood up. And if you notice the text here, look at verse number one, and we'll give up, I'll give you this a message title here in just a moment. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. Our fathers have told us we will not hide them. From their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Verse six will be our text here. He says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandment and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that is not that is set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast. With God. And I want to bring out the point that we see this entire chapter dedicated to in many areas in the Bible, and that is this thought of from generation to generation. That is what the Christian life is, is from generation to generation. There's nothing that we have in this generation of truth or our, our help for the family or, or uh, how to be a good husband. There's nothing we've invented in this generation that wasn't passed down to us from the previous generation and passed down from the previous generation and passed down from the previous generation all the way back to our creator, God himself. Now, if you have something that's new, it's not any good. Go ahead and throw it away because God is commanding his people here in Psalms chapter 78. What we need for the home and what we need to teach our children is from generation to generation. And it's being passed down. And somewhere in that lineage, there you are. Somewhere in that lineage, you're standing there. And the responsibility from the previous generation has been handed to you. And you're going to decide, are you going to hide them from your children? Or are you going to teach them to your children? Are you going to hide it from the generation to come? Or are you going to pass that down to the generation to come? Let me tell you something. There are parents in this generation who are saved, born again. They know they're saved. They know they're not going to spend any moment in hell. Yet they don't even bring their kids to church. You know what they're doing? They're hiding the the truth that was delivered to them from the generation to come. I can think of family, distant family of mine that grew up in, in the same home of people I know that were born again, saved, that raised their family, never darkened the door of church one time. Now their children are atheists. The dad is saved. The mom is saved. And you think, man, boy, I bet they're devastated. No. Well, they'll, they'll eventually come to it. There's a, there's a gap in that generation. Something happened that was given to them. I'm glad whoever it was that was before them didn't hide it from them. But we've got a generation to generation. Before we go into too far into the message, may we be reminded that the truth of God endureth through all generations. Now, someone may drop the ball, but let me just go ahead and mark this down. The truth of God endureth through all generations. From generation to generation. Hey, let me say this. The word of God endures through all generations. 
Amen. We don't have to wonder, did the truth of God make it into the 21st century? We don't have to wonder in 2021, do we still have the words of God? Do we still have the commandments of God? Are they still relevant? Was there a change? Do we need to do something differently? Don't reevaluate the home. Just refocus on the words of God as he has already given us. And so God's word and the truth of God's word is always relevant. I want to point out a couple things as we lay out this thought of from generation to generation. Now, um, this morning I had to keep our cameraman awake. He was he was had to keep that camera. So you're not going to be able to sleep again tonight. I apologize. I don't stand still. Every once in a while, our, my lapel mic in, in, in Orlando or Jacksonville will go bad. And I like I'll be preaching like this. And the way to keep me behind the pulpit is turn this one off and just leave this one on. And then I'll step away. And I'll hear it go down, go quiet. So I'll step back. But I, I, don't, I don't stand still. I move around a lot. Now, if you had uh, five teenagers in the home, you'd have to move around a lot too. try and keep up with them. But anyway, I'm going to be trying to kind of convey this point of from generation to generation and how that it all goes back to the original uh, author, which is God himself. But as we think about this generational uh, passing, I want to notice something very important, that there's a natural decline in generation to generation. If just left unfocused and if left unchecked, It'll naturally decline. Less truth is given to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. And somewhere along the line, somebody has to kind of jerk it back and go back to what was the original plan and what God has already set forth. So if you will, look at verse number six of Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse six, the Bible says that the generation to come might know them. That's the point. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. Now we're thinking even further. We're thinking long stretching even to my, I want my grandkids to have the truth of God. I want my great grandkids to have the truth of God. I want my great grandkids to have a church that's soul winning, fundamental, independent. I want them to be raised in a home where they're there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithful to the house of God, showing up for soul winning. And if I'm going to make sure that my great, great grandkids have that, I better be doing that today. You know, there's a lot of people like, well, you know, I'm a little discouraged. Churches are kind of closing. And, you know, it's like they don't have Sunday night service anymore. Well, no wonder they don't have Sunday night service. I, I see pastors like, you know, we're just not going to have it. Nobody shows up. Hey, have it anyway. Be the one that's like, hey, this generation, not on my watch. It's not going to decline. We want to keep it and preserve it exactly how it was given to us. But he says the children that should be born, verse number six, finishing the verse, who should arise and declare them to their children. So there's a point, if we don't do our job, it's going to slip from the children that are born to the children that are not born, and then there's a generation who will not know them. Turn, if you will now, to Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse number 11. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 11. There's a natural decline. And I I see it in my home. I'm sure you see it in yours. If you're honest, if you look into the mirror of God's word, we see it in the church. Pastor, how many times do we have to draw a line and then we find ourselves have to redraw that line? Like I thought we I thought we had that battle already. Natural. I mean, I can think of multiple times in my home growing up that our dad threw out the television. I mean, he'd throw it. He, you know, he's a first generation Christian, two daughter soldiers led in the Lord. He was trying to grow in the Lord. And, you know, that TV went back. And even back then, understand, it's nowhere near what it is today. Back then, it was like Andy Griffith, Little Rascals, you know, all, you know, th- those wicked, ungodly things. Compared to what we have today, it's like, wow, it's, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, even back then, they were like, hey, let's not have that influence in our home. 
And I remember sitting at TV, and that's back when they were like TVs, you know, like these big things with this little screen and the antennas and the knobs. And if you didn't get good reception, you could wrap aluminum foil around. I mean, we knew how to do it. And I can remember carrying it out to the road and sitting at the side of the road. And here comes the trash man, picks it up, and they take it off. And then, you know, somewhere down the route, the line, we get a TV. Someone gives us one. Ah, we don't watch it. Well, we'll have it. We stick back. And next thing you know, it's sitting on the, the, the coffee table again. Next thing you know, we're just watching Little Rascals. Next thing you know, my dad's like, hey, we've we got to redraw the line. And thank God he kept redrawing the line because if you don't, there's a natural decline. And next thing you know, there's no filter at all in the home. And, you know, we can see that we can see that even in our own lives. But let me just say there's just a natural decline. We need someone to stand up and just be that old fuddy-duddy that just won't change. And, you know, every generation has it. Every generation had that one that just went against the culture of the day. And they, they stood out like a sore thumb. But what they were doing is preserving what was handed to them from the previous generation. Psalms chapter or Proverbs chapter 30, look at verse 11. There is a generation... That curseth their father. Does that sound like today or what? That does not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. And yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation. Oh, how lofty are their eyes. And their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords. And their jaw teeth as knives. To devour the poor from off the earth. And the needy from among men. Does it sound like he's warning where this is going to end up? Don't think for a moment that if you just give in to the demands of today, that the next generation is going to be satisfied with what you gave them. They're going to want more, and they're going to want more. And by the way, our nation's learning that with the sodomite crowd out there, who all, all of a sudden they just wanted to be accepted, and then society accepts them, and they should never have to begin with. Okay, but we accepted them as a society. Now we have to allow them the word marriage, and then we're giving them marriage. They're not done yet, my friend. They're never going to stop. Here's where they're ending up. They're going to end up in Proverbs chapter 30. And God says, we need someone to pass truth from generation to generation. And you know, the, the wickeder the world, is that the word, wickeder? The more wicked the world gets. I was homeschooled, all right? Go ahead. And, is there any, are there any English uh, uh, teachers out there? I'm in trouble if so. I know I was referring to music, and boy, there's some musical talent in this church. And so if I said anything that was musically inaccurate, hopefully the doctrine this morning was accurate. But, you know, but anyway, don't judge me on, on my, my English. I'm from, I'm from the South. I'm from Florida. But uh, anyway, all joking aside, the, the wickeder the world gets, the more of a contrast we should be. There should not just be 10 feet from the world. We should be in step lock with the word of God no matter where the world is. And, it, it, of course, it, it makes us stand out even more. But it, it reminds me of this thought, this natural decay. Of course, that's the second law of thermodynamics. We're, we're naturally falling apart, which, by the way, goes against evolution. Yeah. Evolution teaches we're getting better and better. But yet, if you look at anything, anything at all, it's getting worse and worse, right? I mean, if you were to go and you were to remodel a nice house or build a brand new home, and you were to have it just right the way you wanted it, and then you were to not touch it for 10 years, not touch it for 15 years, and just leave it unmaintained and say, you know what, that house is going to be in the exact same position it was when we first constructed it, you've got some surprises coming. You might, you might walk in and have a flood, flooded house. You might walk in and say, what in the world? Everything's falling apart. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10, by much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands, the house droppeth through. You know what he's saying? If you don't maintain some things, they're going to fall apart. You don't maintain your house, it's going to fall apart. The physical building. If you don't maintain your home, it's going to naturally fall apart. 
You have to intentionally say, I want my marriage to be a good marriage. I want my children to be godly children. I want, this is, this is the objective that I want. And you've got to work towards that. You don't accidentally have a good marriage. You don't accidentally just turn out good kids. Wow, where'd that come from? No, you're, you're declaring something from generation that was taught to you, and you're passing it down, and you're passing it down, and you're passing it down, and you've got to make sure that you don't alter it in any way, shape, or form, because we want the next generation to be just as clean, and just as pure, and just as accurate on the things of God as the generation that handed it to us. And we see example after example. Let me just show you how the natural decline, if you'll allow me to, I don't normally do this, but this kind of proves society, because my microphone's not on. Welcome to Liberty Baptist Church. I'm very glad to be here. Hey, if you are online and you can't listen, you should have been here, amen. You should have made the drive. Our guest back there can give an account for that. But am I, am I on now? All right, there we go. So, so much for if you turn my mic off, I'm stuck here. I still walk away. But anyway, to show you how just a natural decline, I can remember my dad sharing stories of his childhood. Where it was like the mom stayed home, the dad went to work, you know, the, the dress code in the schools, the public schools. Get this, they had shooting ranges in the public schools. My dad learned to shoot the shotgun in high school. Remember, the, I mean, in our county in Florida, when I was growing up, they had, the, they pulled to high school with the gun racks on the back of their windshield with shotguns back there. That was just not back my generation. I mean, it's crazy where we're coming. Now it's like the SWAT team, the bomb squad, they're going to come and, you know, pick the truck up and carry it out and safely remove that, uh, that horrible gun from the back of the windshield. But uh, we can see there's a natural decline. I, you know, just, and I'm, I'm not talking in Christianity. I'm talking about in the world, just from generation to generation. I have here a 1955 Good Housekeeping article. Have you ever seen, anybody ever seen those? This is a, this is a Good Housekeeping article, and the title of the article is, how to be a good housewife, how, how wives should treat their husband. So close your Bibles, and I'm going to read this to you. <laughs> I'm going to give you a summary, because I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the point I want you to, 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 to take from this is, this, is the, this was the world's philosophy in 1955. Read this today, and you are just this weird woman hater, bigot, male chauvinistic, you just weird, you know, you need to be removed from society. Listen to a 1955 world good housekeeping, how to be a good wife. Number one, have dinner ready. I'm just going to summarize. There's paragraphs for each one. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes of rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Number four, you can tell this is from 1955 and not today. He says, says, be a little gay and more interesting for him. His boring day might need some encouragement. Number five, clear away the clutter. This is how to be a good housewife. Uh, uh, over the cooler months of the year, you should prepare and light a little fire so when he comes in, he can unwind. Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash the children in their faces. If they're small, comb their hair and have everything neat when he walks in the door. Can you, this is the world, how to be a good wife, understand says here, look at this one. Children are little treasures, and we'd like to see each one of them playing their part. Now, that sounds like biblical advice to me. Have a part in the home. Know your part. It's a, children are not a problem. They're a treasure. Teach them their part. This was the generation just a few, few years ago. Do you see a decline? 
I imagine they would, they would not even be able to publish this in their own magazine, reprint it. They're probably wishing it never happened. It says, uh, let me just skip here. It says, don't greet him with complaints or problems. Don't complain if he's late or, or, home, or late for dinner. Make him comfortable. Arrange pillows. I'm just summarizing. I want to close out with the last two, number 17, 18. Don't ask questions about his actions or questions of judgment integrity. Remember, he's the master of the house and have such with always exercise him with fairness and truthfulness. You have no right to question him. Be a zombie wife. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Number 18 says, a good wife always knows her place. Now, again, that sounds like biblical advice. A wife has her place in the home. The children have their place in the home. The husband has his place in the home. Can you see what the world thinks a home is? Is not what the Bible says a home is. But yet, just a few generations ago, even the world had a somewhat biblical view of the home. You know what we need? We need someone to stand up and be that light to the next generation. I remember when we had our Make America Straight Again conference, and, of course, we had uh, Pastor McMurtry here. He got the blame for all of it. You know, like, literally, it was like his conference. He got all the critic, uh, all the backlash, all the the atheists. Mr. Atheist still hates him, you know, just kind of like, I'm like sitting there like, they didn't even know who Pastor Boyle was, and I don't mind one bit. But nonetheless, I remember the news media coming around and like, you know, they were just shocked that a church actually believed that a husband and a wife should be rearing children in a home and that you should follow the biblical patterns. And I remember one newspaper article said, it was the Orlando Sentinel said something like this, Pastor Boyle believes, and they're mocking, Pastor Boyle believes that a good home would be a husband and a wife and the children all sitting around the dinner table at the end of the day, talking about their day and having a conversation around the dinner table. That's so crazy of Pastor Boyle to think that's a family unit. Like Guilty as charged. To the world, that's like, what? That's so sci-fi. That doesn't even exist. But I'm telling you something. If you think about the people you know on the workplace, and if you've ever worked with anybody on new converts, they don't, they've never experienced that home. There are many people that have grown up and don't know what it's like to have a dad or who their dad is or a mom. They don't, you know, siblings are enemies to them. And oftentimes, you know, they're sleeping over at the uncle's house, the aunt's house, this one. They're just being pawned off. Nobody wants the kids. Take the kids. I don't want. Hey, they don't know. And so they read that and it sounds like a fairy tale. But let me tell you something. We need to lead with the example and show the world that you can follow the directions that God gave and have a biblical home. And it works. It works. You know, if you'll follow the recipe, the result will always be there. There's a natural decline. That's why the Bible says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed of the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We're not careful. We're going to let things slip. We're going to let them fall by the wayside. So number one, notice that there's a natural decline. Number two, for every generation, there's a need to decide. Okay, you, you can go with the status quo. Well, you know, that's just how it is. And that's one of the problems with dispensational teaching is they teach that, you know, it's the Laodicean church age. And so it's just que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Oh, well, you know, they, they have a dead church and they excuse the part that they're a dead church because, well, you know, that's the day in which we live. But we're just going to tie a knot at the end of the rope. We're just going to hang on and hope that trumpet sounds real soon. Hey, listen, that's not what God asked us to do. God asked us to do exactly what he said and preserve for the next generation to come. Because I don't know how many generations are coming. 
Listen, I don't want to live and just think that it's all going to be over, that I'm the final generation and that I'm not worried about what's coming. Hey, the Lord may not come in my day. He may not come in your day. Let's make sure that the generation following us has the word of God like it was given to us. That's our job to do from generation to generation. Now, this is kind of a summary again of the home because fathers have that that role, mothers have that role, and children have that role. And if you have neither, you say, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I don't have children, well, you're still setting the role for the next generation. Be faithful to the house of God. Remember when society pressured people to go to church? Remember, like, remember back just when years ago, everything was closed on Sunday. Because people were expected to go to church. It still kind of rubs off on politicians. They pretend to go to church on Sundays. Why? Because they're trying to appease that generation that thinks Sunday's for church. Why? Because there were people in that generation that wouldn't budge on it and said, you know what? We are going to church. There's the need to decide. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 13. Look at verse number 36. We've got to decide that we're going to be the one generation that charts the path that maybe even has to make some corrections and goes back to what originally was planned. Acts chapter 13, look at verse number 36. For David, after he had served, who? His own generation. How? By the will of God. Are you there? Acts 13, 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. Now, we understand the context, but they're making something very important point. Don't miss it. David was the leader of his generation, and he passed on to his son Solomon. And Solomon was then the leader of his generation who had then passed on. But the Bible says this about David. Hey, did David make some mistakes? He absolutely did. But you know what the summary of it was? He served his generation by the will of God. You know, we're not perfect. Not everybody can be a perfect father like Pastor McMurtry, okay? That's one of the qualifications of a pastor, to be a perfect father, right? Not everybody can do that. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be the perfect mom. Don't, don't have this thought of a perfect family. But back to the analogy, you're going to miss notes sometimes. You're not going to always hit your part. But let me tell you something. You can know that you, at the end, the summary of your life can be, you know, that family sought to please God. That family sought to serve God. And they passed through their generation a love for the things of God. You know, there's a natural decline, but there's that need to decide. You're going to go with the status quo. I think back to... Usually it's about third generation. Mom and dad, faithful to church, doesn't miss anything. The generation to come, they're hit and miss. Anybody know anybody like that? You know, you don't know if they're going to be there. You don't know if they're not. And I'm not talking because of health reasons. I'm not talking because they're battling. I'm talking about they just don't know if they're going to be in the recliner this morning or sitting in church. Well, let me tell you something. They're not the final generation. There's another one coming that's probably never going to darken the door. And it's your fault. Why? Because during your time, you could have led by example and you let it slip. You've got to decide. What are you going to do? This You are a representative of this generation. What are you passing down to those that are following? You've got to decide. What are you going to do? I can remember as a kid, we never had... Now, understand, my dad was first-generation Christian, saved out of Catholicism. So it was him and my, my mom were the only two in both sides of the family to be saved. Nobody else understood their decision. They all thought we joined some cult. They all thought, you know, oh, no, we're in trouble. When my grandma later on, she found out that we only marry Baptists, she's like, oh, you're interbreeding. There's not that many Baptists. 
You guys are going to be like all deformed and stuff. You got to think outside the faith. And she, they were worried for us. And, they, they, and my dad just decided, you know what? We're going to chart the way and we're going to go against the grain. And my dad decided to stand up and be the leader. And thank God for it. Because that's the home I was raised in. And I remember when it was came for time for church, if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night or Wednesday night, we never one time asked, are we going to church today, Dad? Never one time. It was just, we're going to be in church. There's no question about it. And you know what it instilled in me by the time I got older? And, and, and when the real test came, when I moved out, we're going to church. I've never, this is before I was a pastor. This is before I was a missionary. Every, you know, everybody, when they're a pastor or a missionary, is like, oh yeah, of course you believe in going to church. You're the pastor. No, I'm saying God uses people. He calls those that are doing what he's already asked them to do. And we, we had that. And I remember this one time we won a science fair project for the fifth and sixth grade in the state of Florida. It was a state fair. It was the, uh, the science fair project for fifth and sixth. We won first place for the state. And they're like, great, this is awesome. We're going to give you this, this trophy, this award. It had Eisenhower on it, I mean, all kinds of cool things, uh, our, and uh, our Einstein on it. There we go. And anyway, he, they were going to give us all these things, and uh, they said, the award is going to be Sunday morning at this arena. Bring the family. The newspaper is going to be there. This is a great celebration. My dad's like, all right, we won't be there. You know, you could say, well, you know, it's one Sunday. You know, come on. And they began to try and say, you know, this is a one-time event. How often are they going to win first place? They're not, it's not going to hurt them to miss one Sunday. My dad said, no, if I take my kids to that arena on Sunday morning, I've just taught them that that's more important than church. Now, I, don't, I was fifth grade. Fifth grade. And you know what? I never had been more proud of going to church that morning than ever in my life, knowing that I could have been in some arena listening to the applause of people and we walked into church with our Bible, and we walked up, and we sat down where we normally sit. And, man, I listened like I'd never listened before. I was intent. I was excited because I knew one thing. This was the most important thing in the world to me. This was the most important thing in the world to my dad. And you know what? I don't know if my dad understood that I was gleaning that from him, but it instilled in me something. And I remember thinking, I don't ever want to miss church. I don't ever want to skip out on the house of God. I want to serve God. I want to carry that to the next generation. And I tell you what, it stuck with me. You know, when you keep your kids home because they have homework and they got a big test tomorrow, you've taught them that as long as there's nothing more important going on, church is okay. Be careful. Aren't you glad the previous generation didn't do that? It's a dangerous path because what they're going to take, they're going to take it even further. They're going to take it even further. And we can see this over and over and over. There's a necessity to decide. Joshua said, as for me and my house... Hey, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, hey, we're going to make that decision. We are serving the Lord. Now, it's amazing to me because if you think about this from generation to generation, you know, you think back in, in a bad way where you have bad things being passed down from generation to generation. And someone finally in that lineage gets saved. And so my dad in this generation, he gets saved and he steps out of that bad generation and he begins to start a new lineage with no one before him because his dad wasn't saved. His grandpa wasn't saved. And who knows how far back. But here's this generation. So he steps out. He's starting a new lineage. He's all by himself. There's no one to fellowship. His brothers, sisters, there's no one for him to hang out with. He, they don't understand. They're scolding him. They're mocking him. They're, they're ridiculing him. But he says, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
Little did he know that out of, he would have seven children who would grow up to serve God and be missionaries and, and preachers and soul winners all wherever God has put them. And so here he is. He's all by himself. It's lonely. But he made that decision. And then here come seven kids all lined up next to him. Those seven kids get married. There's 14. Now they're all having children. Last Boyle family reunion just from my dad and mom, my siblings, their wives and children. There was 48 of us. My dad, my mom and dad have no worry for friends, no worry for nothing to do. There's 48 of us. We only we get together every other year. We can't do it every year. And when we do, we still can't get everybody together in the same house. It's crazy. You know, it was lonely for a little while. But all, you know what our prayer is? Those 48 turn to 100, to 150, to 200, to 300. But it's going to take every generation to have that same grit that the previous generation had. So many of you may, you know, you're charting new waters. You're the first generation Christian in your home and in your family. It is going to be a lonely battle. But I'm telling you something, if you don't do anything, you're naturally going to decline. You've got to make that decision that you're going to step out. You're going to make some rules. You're not going to budge on those rules. Hey, and listen, they oftentimes will try to get you to budge. Hey, it's Mother's Day. Come on. Nope, sorry, it's Sunday. It's Father's Day. We're having to get together. We're going to honor Dad. Yeah, after church. We've made it. They don't understand that you just skipping one time is compromising the decision that you're making and what is teaching your children. And you say, no, I don't ask. I'm not asking you to understand. I'm working on a lineage here that I want to pass down to them the truth of God's word, who will pass down to them the truth of God's word. Hey, I'm working on something that you may not understand right now. But I'll tell you this. Forty eight. Oh, I mean, everybody's saved. Everybody loves the Lord. Everybody's acts right. Everybody dresses right. There's no alcohol. There's no rock music. It's a family reunion like family reunion should be. Let's go back to the lineage that he stepped away from. Not even married to the same person. In and out of jail. Drugs. Their reunions. Lonely. They're sitting there listening to. Some kind of music that's singing away their sorrows while they're drinking alcohol. You think every single one of them could have had the same thing. You know, you can be that first generation Christian. And listen, sometimes it's that second and third generation that need to be the one that wake up the most. You've been handed a a Bible. You've been handed church attendance. You've been handed the traditions of the word of God. Hey, you need to step up and say, you know, I'm not doing this because mom and dad are making me. I'm doing it because I want to serve God. There needs to be that decision. Then lastly, if you'll turn back to Psalm 78, look at verse number 5. Psalms chapter 78, look at verse number 5. We see a natural decline. It's going to naturally decline. Someone's going to have to step up. We need the necessity for someone to say, hey, I'll be the one. Then once you just step out of that lineage and you say, I'm going to be the one passing down the good things to the generation, we need someone who will declare it, begin to preach it, For the elders to hear, look what he says in verse number five. For he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Verse four, it said not to hide them from our children. Verse six, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise. And here's the word, declare them to their children. God wants us to not just be the, the, the visual witness, not just to instill them in our home, not just to say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He says, I want you to declare it to the generation as well. You say, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say these homeschool, house church, 
no church is good enough for our family is not what God is asking you to do. They're out there. I'm telling you, you see them, they come in and it's like, oh, great. But they're like, well, we don't join any church. We want to just shelter our kids so much. And the message sheltering versus shaping. And I, I thought it was a great message, you know, where you're, you you want that, that sheltering, but you're shaping them. You're, you're sheltering them, yes, but what are you making? Are you making churchgoers, those that love the Lord? And you'll find there's these people that they're so pro-family that they do nothing for God with their family. They do nothing for, they, they can't join a church. They can't be part of a local church. They're, they're precious little Johnny and precious little Susie. They need some daddy time. They need some mommy time. No, listen, they need some God time. They need to serve the Lord. They need to know what it's like to be a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, yes, there's a natural decline. Fight that natural decline. Need to decide. Stand up and say, not, not my family. But then you need to declare it. You need to go out and be a preacher of the gospel. Don't just be one of those that, boy, I'm glad... That, you know, my dad heard the message so that I could be raised in this godly lineage. No. How about going out and knocking on doors and reaching other people's dads? How about going out and saving this untoward generation that's before us today? You know, we went into Chicago. Everybody's talking about how bad Chicago is. You know what Chicago needs? Someone who will declare their generation. Someone who will get up and say, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. You can't have a good life. You can't have a re- a, the, the godly home that, that you think is without reach. You can if you'll follow the commandments of God. You can do it. But someone's going to have to declare it to them. Who will do it? Don't be a selfish Christian where it's all about your little home. And then you grow up and you have these wonderful children who may be moral, but they're, nothing, they're not godly. You raise decent children, but they're not in church. You raise, you raise nice, polite children, but they don't know the word of God. They don't serve God. No, there's that need to declare. Psalms 145, if you'll turn there, Psalm 145. Look at verse number 3. Psalm 145, verse number 3. The Bible reads, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Man, I love that verse. Here's what he says. One generation shall praise thy works to who? To another. And shall declare what? Thy mighty acts. I will speak of thy, of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. So yes, God's good preacher. Okay, declare that to the next generation. Be a preacher. Be an example. Lead by example, but then open your mouth and declare it to the next generation. Turn now, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is my final point. I just want to back it up with a few verses. But Isaiah 53, while you're turning there, I'll read to you a few verses in Psalm. He says, I will make mention of thy name to be remembered in all generations. He says in Psalm 79, so, thy, so we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Psalm 89, 1, I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Does it sound like the generation that decides to step up is not just being a godly influence on their home, but they're being an outward influence on the ones around them saying, hey, you too can have a godly home. You, too, can be the person that God wants you to be. You, too, can make a difference for your generation. Isaiah 53. Look at verse number one. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire, be, should desire him. 
He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. Anybody know who we're reading about? The Lord Jesus Christ. This tender plant. Understand what he's saying. This tender plant's growing up. But it's not anything to be, uh, to be envied. It's not this beautiful uh, 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 rose bush. It's not this beautiful plant. It's just a, a plant, a tender plant. It's growing up. He says he's despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces of him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and we as sheep before the shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and of judgment, from judgment. Here's the problem. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. This is tender plant. The Lord Jesus Christ began to grow up. And he began to be the example. He began to be the light of the world as we began to see, as he began to, to proclaim the truth. He began his earthly ministry. And yet the Bible describes it this way. That tender plant was cut off before his time, pulled out, yanked out, cut off. And the, the, the problem now is who's going to stand in that place? There's a, there's a gap now. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm in the light of the world. It's been cut off. He says, now, hey, who's going to declare his generation? Who's going to step up and say, you know what? I'll take that spot. I'll declare to the generation to come. Who's going to declare it? I don't know about you, but I would be jumping up and down. Lord, pick me. I want to declare. I want to declare to the generation. I want it to be said that, you know, my testimony is I just wouldn't conform to the times. I wouldn't conform to the modern things that the world is trying to push down our throat, that we just kind of be a rebel for the cause of Christ and that I just wouldn't change. I just wouldn't budge. And then my children, they grew up. They won't change. They won't budge. Who raised children who won't change and won't budge no matter what pressure is put upon them? We need someone to stand up and declare the generation. Now, I want to show you finally here, if you'll turn to Acts chapter 30. This, this passage in Isaiah 53 is going to be referenced as, if you know the context, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading it. The Ethiopian eunuch is going to be read, reading Isaiah 53, and Philip's going to come along, and he's going to lead him to the Lord. So I find it interesting that when Isaiah 53 brings the question, who will declare his generation? Who will make that, that, that light available to the following generation that is actually being used when it's referenced in the New Testament? It's being used by a soul winner leading someone to Christ. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? Why? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest this, the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the what? Same scripture and preached unto him who? 
Jesus. The very passage that's asking who will declare to their generation, there's a hole that's left. The Lord Jesus Christ came and was a tender plant and was pulled out. For our transgressions was he wounded. For our iniquities was he afflicted. Who's going to step up and preach the gospel? And then here's the Ethiopian eunuch reading that very passage. And Philip, with that same passage, preached to him Jesus. Can I tell you tonight, I don't know where you are. Maybe you have harmony in the home. Maybe you're trying to get harmony in the home. Maybe you're still in the music lesson stage and your goal is that's what I want to have. Hey, can I tell you something? Think about the home, but also think outside the home. What are you doing for others? You know, what I found is the pro-family, they oftentimes leave out, we'll call the bus kids. They oftentimes leave out the broken homes. There's no room in the church for them because, you know, hey, it's bless God, we're family integrated, and it's husband, wife, and children. We don't have room for Hey, we ought to declare to the next generation. Somebody's got to reach them. And, you know, it's, it's the best thing a little child can do who's grown up in a home that's a broken home or mom saved, dad saved, or one's not, whatever the situation may be. The best thing they can do is come to church and see a mom and dad sitting with their children in a row, and it's time to sing the hymns, and here's dad belting out Amazing Grace. You know, they don't see that in the home where they're coming from. They see a drunk, staggering dad. All he can pr- uh, produce is profanity. And they look out, and, you know, it just might instill in the next generation a kid to say, you know what, that's the dad I'm going to be. That's the mom I want to be. We ought to be a leader for the next generation. So as we focus on the home, yes, that's important. But let's think outside the home and say, you know, I don't want to just have a great home. I want my home to be declaring to the next generation what they too can have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as our church, Lord, that we would examine our hearts. Lord, if we don't do anything, if we make no changes, if we just go with status quo, it's a natural decline. And Lord, we're seeing that in our home and in our schools. We're seeing that in our society. God, I pray that you'd help us here each one of us, Lord, to recommit, to make that decision that, you know, come what may, the world can make their decisions. They can do what they want. They can mock us. But we're going to do what's right. And then take that and stand on the mountaintops and shout it to all who will hear and declare the truth of your word to the next generation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank-